Hello and welcome. I'm Ian Wielden, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Lindsay Taylor, the curator of the University of Salford's art collection. University of Salford art collection was founded in the late 60s and includes around 800 modern and contemporary works which are displayed both on campus, including at the New Adelphi Exhibition Gallery, as well as through loans to UK and international museums and galleries. The collection actively commissions and acquires contemporary work under three key themes, about the digital, from the north and Chinese contemporary art together aiming to tell a story of now. Lindsay started her career in museums and art galleries at the Lady Lever Gallery in Port Sunlight and then at the Walker Art Gallery before moving to Tate Liverpool to take up the role of exhibition secretary and then exhibitions assistant. Lindsay then worked at the Harris Museum and Art Gallery in Preston where she delivered an ambitious contemporary art exhibition programme working with artists and commissioning new works specialising in new media before then moving to the University of Salford. This episode was recorded on site at the University of Salford in April 2023 and is an edited version of a longer chat. There are links to the various projects and organisations in the podcast notes so you can follow up on anything you want to know more about there. I'd like to thank Lindsay for taking the time to talk to me about her career path so far and for showing me around the new stores on campus and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. So thank you very much for joining me today. If we could just start off by hearing a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I'm Lindsay Taylor. I'm curator of the University of Salford. What does your job look like? What, what kind of things do you do here? Well, let's just say no two days are the same. I think that, that that's one of the, the great things about this job. Um, my ultimate responsibility is the university art collection. Uh, that's existed for over 50 years, has around 800 items in it. Um, and my job is to, to look after that and to be, to be the guardian of, of that collection. Now, that is a small part of my actual job. The, the art collection is kept in a new art store that we uh, got about 18 months ago, which is a fantastic facility. Um, it means that you know, the collection is stored properly in the right conditions, but also makes it much easier when we're trying to do loans or when we're moving artworks around campus. Yeah. Um, we have a small gallery on campus called New Adelphi Exhibition Gallery. We have a, a rotating programme of work. It's always related to the, the, the art collection. So we do about three shows a year in, in there. And then there are other places around campus where the, the collection is, is shown as well. Um, but that's really only a very small part of what we do. Um, when I started the role, the collection had existed for sort of about 50 years. But there was a very generic collecting policy. So I really wanted to, to think about, you know, if we're making acquisitions, what stories did we want to tell? I and mean, I think all best collections are about telling stories. Yeah. Um, so really, we, well, I uh, developed a collecting strategy with three main collecting strands um, about the digital. So about collecting work, which tells us about living in the digital age. So a lot of that is digital work, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be a painting about living in the digital age. Chinese contemporary art, which was very much at the time, so 10 years ago, was about working with the Centre for Chinese Contemporary Art, as it was called then in, in Manchester. But also at that point, you know, China was, a, well, it still is a very big force in, in the world, but it was when David Cameron was courting the Chinese yeah. uh, government, um, you know, Chinese money, um, and, you know, sort of wanting to reflect that in, in, in our collection. And also reflecting that, you know, a lot of universities work with or have a lot of students from, from mainland China and the diaspora as well. Yeah. Um, and then From the North, which is about collecting work from artists living and working in the, in the north of England. And those three collecting strands really came about because I was looking at what wasn't being collected elsewhere in a meaningful way. You know, we know a lot of galleries were commissioning Chinese artists, for example, but they weren't collecting it. 
we know a lot of places were working with artists working in the digital but not collecting it because it was too complicated this is 10 years ago remember yeah yeah and then from the north is something that the collection has always had as an important part of what it is but we have an art school it's really important to us that we're showing our students that you can be an artist and live and work in the north of England. You don't have to go to London or Berlin or wherever the next place is. Yeah. So they were sort of three collecting strands, but really the overarching sort of theme was wanting to tell stories of now. So when you're thinking about collection, it's kind of one of those things of this is where we are now, but it's always an evolving thing. And, you know, we've been collecting for 50 years, so we've got a 50-year story already, but how are people going to look back and you know, 50 years' time, what are they going to say? Well, what was important at this point, at yeah. this moment in time? So they're the other reasons sort of behind those, those collecting strands. What I should say is that within the next sort of 12 months or so, we will be doing a peer review to see whether those are still the right collecting strands, are we still working on, on the right sort of areas, yeah. or whether we need to evolve and adapt. So and I obviously don't know what the result of that will be yet. So, so with the, those three strands that... Uh, those three different themes that you're starting to collect around. It sounds like you were planning around other collecting strategies that were happening at local venues. Is that Yeah, right? at local and nationally. Right. Um, in my previous role, which we might come to later on, I was at the Harris Museum and Art Gallery in Preston for quite a long time. My role there was the exhibitions officer. So contemporary art it, it is my thing. That's what, yeah. what I do. I've always worked with contemporary artists. But, you know... At the Harris, I wasn't involved in the acquisition side of things, but started to get an interest in that, and really, particularly about artists working with the digital or new media, as it was sort of called yeah. Yeah, 15 sort of years ago. Um, so I did develop a collecting strategy around new media. We, we got funding from the Arts Council to do so, and it was very much thinking about, you know, what are artists using in terms of technology and, and kind of how do we collect those things now while we can talk to the artists, while the artists are alive, while the technology is still current because technology changes so quickly. I mean, you just need to think back to the artists working in the 80s on VHS tape and yeah. those all running out and, and yeah. kind of, you know, and sort of, you know, DVDs and, and kind of, you know, what are the, the latest technologies? How do you, if we work with artists now, we can ensure that we are telling the story or one of the stories of, of artists working with technology through that technology now before it's obsolete. That's what I'm trying yeah. to get to. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, that's yeah, it's the software and the hardware. Yeah, well, I you know I remember the um, Arts Council collection store a few times, and you know I've seen the piles of VHS players yeah. that they have. You know, twenty five VHS yeah. players. So they're also collecting those so that they can continue to play stuff in its original format rather than just digitising. Absolutely, and part of what really interests me about this role is talking to the artists and understanding what their wishes are yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. But continuing that relationship with an artist, because they might change their mind like sort of, you know, 10 years yeah. down the line. But, you know, we always ask, you know, how do you foresee this work being shown in 10, 20, 100 years' time? Yeah. You know, does it need to be on a VHS player or can it be upgraded onto, well, DVD or yeah, Blu-ray, whatever the next whatever thing is, whatever it might be? Yeah. be you know, and, and kind of, you know, what are the aesthetics around that? And so that might be, you know, it has to be on a box television or actually it could be on a, an iPad now that we might use or something. But, yeah. you know, I don't know what the future holds and are they happy for that to happen or no, it always has to be on this very particular sort of aesthetic. And I think that's just really important to have those conversations with artists now and then make sure you keep that technology or you don't yeah. as, it, as it evolves. So when you're requiring that work, are you documenting those conversations as well? Or is that through emails that you're making sure are available alongside that work? Through emails, through discussions, but also we've developed forms that we, we ask all artists to, to, to fill in. And, right. you know, we've looked at the Tate and, and how they, they've done quite a lot of... Pip Lawrence and there's done a lot of work on collecting new media. Um, there's a whole big project, yeah. Media Matters, I think it might be called, that's on the website. So we've kind of looked at a lot of that and taken some of the best practice from that. Not all of it, because, you know, we're not the Tate. We are basically two people really doing yeah. this job. <laughs> um, so we've made it far more manageable. But it's having those conversations with the artists, making sure it's written in, in paper. But we have got the emails and, and the correspondence as well. And we try and develop that sort of archive of material around the collection as well, the things we're, we're acquiring so that their wishes are always observed. Now, you know, again, having the artist's contact details, so they, uh, I probably won't be here in 10 years, certainly not in 20 years' time. So thinking ahead, somebody can try and then contact the artist and say, are you still happy with this or, yeah. or not? Um, so I think it's really important that it, it's evolving rather than it being a fixed thing. Yeah. 
And, you know, I'd, I suppose one way of looking at it is when you think about paintings, when they're put in a horrible frame that doesn't work for that the period that the work was made in, it can really change how you see things. Yeah. So that's sort of one way of looking at it and thinking about those aesthetics. What does the art, artist want and how do we ensure, you know, we respect that? So do you have an acquisitions budget or is that something you have to go out and get money for each no, time? No, that was the really great thing about this job um, is we have an acquisitions budget and I'll be honest it's not as, as um, generous as it was when I started you know like all um, institutions there have been cuts but we still have a, an acquisitions budget and that's what I've really enjoyed about this job is being able to shape it because I think if I'm really honest when I started they didn't really know what they wanted <laughs> And the easy thing to do would have been go to Freeze Art Fair and say, I'll have one of those, please, every year and job done. Yeah. But I never take the easy route. I've never done that. <laughs> I like to challenge myself and, and make things interesting. So within those sort of collecting strands, the way that we've worked or that I've developed the way we, we worked is about working in partnership with other arts organisations. So, for example, I mentioned working with the Centre for Chinese Contemporary Art in, in 2013. Um, you know, working with them, we would add to, you know, we would talk about their programme, what they're working on, we'd see, well, who are we interested in working with as well? And then we'd co-commission an artist to make new work for their exhibition. Um, but after the exhibition, then that work would come into our collection. Yeah. Um, so Chow Fei, who you may have heard of, is a really well-known um, Chinese artist. She was the first artist that, that, that we worked with. And that sort of model is basically what we do with all our collecting strands. It, it's generally working with other arts organisations to commission artists to make new work that's shown outside of the university before coming in. And again, that was very much because when I started this job, we, we didn't have a gallery. You know, there was a collection, there was an acquisitions budget and nowhere to show it. And, and that, for me, was a real opportunity. I didn't see it as a challenge. It was an opportunity to, to go out and think... Well, because you know, we also have museums accreditation from, from the Arts Council, which is really important. So we have a responsibility to be engaging with audiences and, and the general public. And I was very aware that if we tried to bring people on campus, even though campus is open, the buildings are open to anyone to go into, the perception for a lot of people is that the campus is just for the students and for the university, it's not for the general public. So by going out and developing relationships and partnerships with other arts organisations, the public are seeing the work first. It's open to much broader audiences than it would ever be if we just did it on campus. Mm. And then, you know, so it's already had that sort of audience before a work comes into our collection. And that's sort of the way we, we've worked. So, for example, we work with um, Castlefield Gallery in Manchester. We work with Open Eye Gallery in Liverpool. We've worked with organisations sort of across the UK and internationally as well. You've worked both inside universities and in venues that are independent or council-led yeah. or whatever it might be, but how different is it to work in this environment than it is to work, I'm saying out there, we're on campus <laughs> at the moment, out there? I think what's really interesting is because I've worked in national museums at the start of my career and then in local authority, museum and art gallery, and now in a university. And I think I've got that advantage of having worked across the, the spectrum and working with a lot of sort of independent national portfolio organisations. I've got a really broad understanding of the, the, the sector. I think working in the university, I think I'm very lucky, it gives me a lot of flexibility to develop different ways of, of working. I think the university gives me freedom, I think. Um, one of, well, our, our main... Um, uh, sort of mission, I suppose, is about working with industry and giving our students industry experience. I don't really like the word industry, but if you replace that with sector, yeah. um, you know, you think about the arts sector, that's kind of what I am, what the collection is, but within the university. Yeah, and I think very much when, you know, we, we had this whole sort of policy about, um, you know, industry partnerships, and I think it was quite early on actually, you know, the, the, the powers that be at the university realised, well, we were the industry, <laughs> but we were within the university because we've, we haven't come through academia. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've always worked with universities in my different roles, but, you know, I come from the sector, I come from working in museums and galleries. So for our students, we were that bridge, absolutely. And, and kind of, and that wasn't because that was the, the university strategy. It was because that's the way we were working already. 
um, because I think it's so, so important that the students that we work with, I mean, I don't formally teach, um, but the students need to understand what the sector is that, that they're going into and how that mm. works. So, I mean, you, we started this conversation about, you know, what does... What do I do in my job is hugely varied because yeah. what I haven't mentioned <laughs> is the graduate scholarship program I set up as well. Okay. Again, set that up in, in my first year because we had this, at the time, very generous budget for student acquisitions. And I kind of looked at that and thought, well, that's a bit bonkers. Why do we want to buy student work or you know, graduate work from the, the degree shows? Because the degree shows are something very sort of specific that people are working to and then we take something give them some money and off they go and that's the end of that relationship and that really to me didn't seem the best way of supporting our new graduates so with the graduate scholarship scheme we work with between usually sort of four and six graduates each year um that it's a, an application process so anyone in the school of arts and media can apply uh, it tends to be graduates from fine art and photography who we get mostly, but we have, we've had graduates from performance, um, from music production, uh, from graphics, from uh, fashion and image making. We've had them from ac across the whole gamut, but mainly fine art and, and photography. And we support them for a year after graduation. So that includes working with our local studio providers. So we've got Islington Mill, Paradise Works and Hotbed Press. So we have a studio in each of those um, uh, providers. So usually one uh, graduate will have a, a studio space in each of the, those places. And we work with the studio providers to try and select which artists we think we can best support. So the very different feel in each of those places. I mean, Hotbed Press is clearly printmaking, so we want someone who's going to use printmaking yeah. facilities yeah. in there. Uh, Paradise Works is very fine art-based, very visual arts, so we want someone who's really you know, in, into that there. So... The Graduate Scholarship Programme is run in collaboration with Castlefield Gallery, so um, we pay them to run the programme for us, so it's sort of taking it away from the university a bit, but we're still obviously very linked to it. It's a support mechanism. It's a support mechanism. Nice, because you've got that external thing happening, real world. Completely, and that's why it's important that they do it rather than we try and deliver yeah. it. And it, it's very much a, a sort of CPD programme, so over the year that there are a number of different sessions that are run, so that each of the the graduates get um, some coaching uh, and then mentoring and mentors have, have been you know across the, the the board of of different levels of artists depending on on what we think they need there is a professional development programs so and that's generally evolves each year depending on the needs of the group so that might be how to write an arts council application or how to manage your finances as an artist or you know anything that, that's needed by that group there's usually I think three or four sessions sort of training sessions like that. There are also visits where they go out to other cities, so they might go to Liverpool or to Birmingham or to Newcastle or wherever and sort of see the artist ecology there and sort of visit different people and meet different places, so expanding their networks as well. Um, they also get £1,000 to spend on whatever they need uh, to do that. So it's a year-long programme, but actually, I mean, that's been... We're about to start the recruiting for the 10th cohort of that, and... You know, we now have an alumni of that, that programme and one of the things that we really wanted to do is encourage people to stay in Greater Manchester right. and to really build that artist community in Greater Manchester and it's working. Um, quite a lot of the, the graduates, the artists, I should call them now, now have studios in one of these places, as Inter Mill Paradise Works or in other studio um, areas around sort of Greater Manchester. And they are part of the community, they're part of the ecology, which is so, so important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think from the university point of view, of, of being contribu actively contributing to that ecology. Yeah, it makes sense. It sounds like a you great know. programme. I mean, is there, is there pressure for them to produce work and or, and or for you to acquire that work into the collection? Well, what I do say, part of the deal is that when they finish the programme, they have to give me something for the collection. <laughs> First refusal. In reality, it's never after the 12 months are up. It's usually two or three years down the line right. when there's something they feel that they want to yeah. be in the collection. And I'm very clear that, you know, we're really flexible about what that might be. I mean, you know, for some, it might be documentation of a project. It might be a written proposal or ideas, or it might be a painting or a sculpture or whatever it might be. So it's really varied sort of what, what, we've, what we've got from that. But we want it to be something that they're proud of and that we will show again. And we do show it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very much part of what we, we, we do. And we try and, you know, it's about, it's not just about that year. It's a, a relationship that 
develops beyond that year and it goes back to that ecology and about supporting an ecology and so for example we've um over the years we've done the manchester contemporary art fair twice with the graduate scholarship program we will be doing it again this year as a 10-year sort of anniversary so again it's not just about anybody having a, a, a go we will open it up and i don't know how we're going to curate it yet for the, for the 10 year but we want to kind of show off some of the artists that, that we've been working with and supporting uh, by giving them that opportunity but also we signpost the artist to, to different things you know if we see opportunities residencies or whatever we might go oh have you thought about applying for this yeah. or um you know are, are you aware of this opportunity or it's it's mutually beneficial for everybody because yeah. you can all draw on those links that you've got completely and, and for the university it, it's about showing prospective students what happens when you come to Salford actually you know it's not just about those three years of study it's what can happen afterwards and how you can remain involved and the opportunities that we're providing for you and if you come to Salford you know the artist community in Salford is amazing and it's growing and it's a really active community of artists who are you know, who have international careers. And if you yeah. want to be part of that, this is a good place to start it, off. And, and that first year is, I think, the, it, it, it's the, the hardest forest to get through. Exactly. You have bills, you end up taking jobs, and then it's really easy to slip away from your practice. And that's exactly slips. why we set it up, because yeah. we understand that year is the hardest. And, and I say it, it's an evolving thing. Um, you know, we used to start it in August. Now it's sort of, September, October-ish, because right. we're very aware that the graduates, you know, they've just finished their degrees, they're, they're tired, yeah. <laughs> they need a break, Exhale. they probably need to move house, they probably need to find a job to pay yeah. the bills. Um, you know, we're aware that there are all these life things around them too. And, you know, that's partly why the coaching is one of the first things that happens. It's about giving them that support to try and navigate some, some of these things. It is just that hardest year. And when we're going through the recruitment process as well, I think it's really important, and I always say this, that it's not necessarily the best artists, it's the ones who we think we can support the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's within our networks and our well, knowledge, what can we do? Yeah, the, the mechanisms that you've got yeah. available. So, so this is, it's both quite specific and quite varied yeah. in terms of a role. So is this the kind of thing that you thought you would be doing no. <laughs> Many years ago, or, you know, whenever you were. <laughs> no, um, I never dreamed I'd be doing something like this. And I feel very fortunate to, to be in a job that I love, um, you know, generally. There are things where, you know, it, it, it's really boring, university admin that everybody has to do in any job. Yeah. But generally, I get up and I'm looking forward to each day because there's Motivated always something, something new. I'm really, yeah, there's just, I'm never bored. Um, when I was at school, I always liked art. That was kind of my, my thing. Um, so I did a foundation course, which not many people do these days. But I, I did the foundation year. I loved my I foundation did. year. It was the best year ever. And just very different to my school. And meeting lots of different people and you know, trying things out in a way that, you know, I had quite a formal sort of schooling. So it, I loved the foundation year. And I wanted to do fashion and textiles. And I got in my first choice into to Birmingham Poly, as it was then. And went off to Birmingham and I hated it. <laughs> I knew quite early on that this was not for me once I got there. It was really weird. And um, I was enjoying the life, but not the, the, the course. And at Christmas, I remember coming home and saying to my parents, you know, I, I, I don't think this is right for me. And they're like, oh, no, give it, give it a bit longer, give it a bit longer. Neither of my parents went to university. Right. So there was quite a lot of pressure. They were very proud that I'd gone yeah. to poly. Yeah. Um, and at Easter, I was the same, no, 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 this, it's not for me. I, I really, you know, no, give it, you know. Anyway, by the summer, I failed the last part of the, the course. And interestingly, it was because, well, one of the reasons I would say is because I was involved in fundraising for the course and organising various <laughs> events to make money, yeah. <laughs> thinking about the degree shows at the end of it. So the organisation skills is something, <laughs> I think, right, okay. <laughs> sort of picking up a theme. So when I failed the last part of it, I said, oh, and they said, well, we'll give you another chance over the summer, make some more work. I did that, went back and, and they're like, still not good enough. And I said, you know, I just don't want to do this. It's just not for me. Um, this is not oh, where it, it, it's not right. So much to my parents' distress, I said, no, that's it. I've, I've tried. I'm not doing it. It took a year out, worked in a shop in a psychiatric hospital in that year. So I still lived in Birmingham with the friends I'd made. 
And then I went to Wolverhampton Poly to study history of art and design with French. Um, Because I'd always been interested in languages, I'd done French A-level. And history of art seemed to be more, you know, sort of my area. And actually, I really enjoyed that course. But in the way I said earlier, I like to do things the most complicated way possible. Well, at the end of my second year, I took another year out and had a baby. So I was a single mum <laughs> doing my final year eventually. And, um, but, you know, I, I got a 2-1, which I was really proud of. And kind of, you know, despite everyone going, you're never going to get your degree. I did in the end. <laughs> so, but I came out was, of that. Was there a bit of, with people saying you're never going to get this degree, was there an element of bloody-mindedness there that you were? Oh, would? absolutely, yes. But also, you know, I, I knew I wanted it. I, was, I, I enjoyed the course right. at Wolverhampton. I enjoyed studying there. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a modular course. So, you know, you could select different modules each semester. And I liked that. So doing something for a period of time and then moving on to the next sort of subject. I really enjoyed it. And I mean, I was meant to have a year out because I was doing French, but I had to give that up because I, yeah. I had my son. So French is a French studies. I think it's history of art and design with French, French studies was my, my degree in the end. So, um, so was the art history with a lean towards French art history? Or? Uh, not particularly, though I did study French cinema and French literature as, right. as uh, part of the French, because uh, originally it was going to be a joint degree. So I'd always just had an interest in travel and, and uh, France, I guess, because I went there on holiday with my parents and, and you know, liked it. Um, but, you know, sort of, I didn't expect to be a single mum, um, you know, aged, what was I, 24, finished my degree, single parent, now what? But as I was finishing my degree, I saw a job advertised in our local paper, as you did in those days. <laughs> um, for They were looking for people to work in the shop and the cafe at the Lady Lever Art Gallery in Port Sunlight, which I was back in Wirral, which is where my parents were at this point. So I applied for that. And the Lady Lever Art Gallery is a beautiful museum and art gallery um, in, in Port Sunlight. And it had just undergone a refurb and was reopening. So they were looking for a number of people to work in the shop and, and the cafe. So I applied for that and was offered well, one of the roles. And, uh, you know, for me, I was just like, oh my God, I'm going into this amazing building every day. Well, it wasn't every day, it was part-time. And, you know, it was incredible. And there was the, the shop and there was the cafe. Now, I, was, I will admit, I was actually really unhappy that they put me in the cafe. I kind of thought, I've just done a degree in art history. Right. <laughs> and I'm Felt serving unused. tea and coffee again in a cafe. You know, throughout my education, I'd worked in, in restaurants and bars. And, mm. and, you know, so I was kind of like, what have they done a degree for? I'm, I'm kind of here. This is where, you know, I did listen to the advice of my mum and she said, stick it out, stick it out. And, and she was absolutely right, because as part of my sort of training or induction, I'd, uh, um, the Lady Lever Art Gallery is part of what was then called National Museums and Galleries Liverpool, now National Museums Liverpool. So as part of my induction, I was sent over to the Walker Art Gallery to work in the shop for a day. And, and the person who ran that, Joanne, actually, we just hit it off. She was, she'd studied fine art. You know, I was talking about my degree and I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm at the Walker Art Gallery. This is somewhere I'd grown up going yeah. to, visiting, being in awe. And so I think I started the job in July or August and, and that sort of October, it was the John Moore's Painting Prize in, in the Walker. And I'd sort of said to Joanne, you know, is there any chance I could do, you know, come over and do a little bit there? And she said, well, actually, I wondered whether you wanted to come over to the Walker full, full time, well, not full time, but yeah, permanently yeah. rather than working at the Lady Lever. So I jumped at that opportunity. And that's sort of where it, it all really started, I think, because I was sort of aware of being part of this much bigger organisation and understanding the different jobs there were. I mean, I never knew there was a registrar. What does a registrar no. do? I thought they worked in hospitals. <laughs> you know? There was a conservation department, an art handling department. There was an education department. There were all these sort of roles that I had absolutely no idea existed. And it was just a really good training. So I was on the shop there, uh, so retail information assistant, I think was my job title. Again, it's part-time, which is what I wanted at, at that time because my son was still little. But also I was dealing, part of the time, dealing with the transparencies, which is you know, in the old days <laughs> when somebody wanted to use one of the images from the collection in a book or, or whatever, they had to get permission. And depending whether it was making money or for, for educational purposes, there were charges. So I was, I was learning all the time. And also learning about buying, because the shop sold, sold jewellery and craft. So, you know, I was learning about that. 
And it's one of those things about being in the right place at the right time and getting to know people. There was an internal job came up as an admin assistant in the keeper's office, which I applied for and got. Um, again, it was only part time. So I was doing a lot of work with the curators, sort of basically a secretary for some of them. It was very old school in, in those days. I'd be asked to type up a letter. But really, the, the bit that was important was working with the registrar. And I was supporting him with uh, the collections management systems. They had this really old, old system. And, and, you know, as part of my training, I was sent off to learn Word and Excel and, and Access. And I was like, there's got to be a better way of doing this. So <laughs> I helped design with the, the IT department a new collections mm -hmm. management system using Access and got that transferred over and then I left. <laughs> which I feel slightly guilty about. Or decide this thing and then... <laughs> well, I didn't just do it deliberately, but I saw a job advertised at Tate Liverpool. Right. And I applied for that and I was got that. So it was exhibition secretary at, at Tate Liverpool. So what, what attracted <laughs> you to Tate? Was it the size of it? Again, or? it was... It was... This seeing, is Tate Liverpool. It's Tate Liverpool. And it was seeing the job advert, I think, the day before the deadline. So just bunging in a, an application. Yeah. Uh, and having the interview and then being offered it and was like, oh, actually, do I want to leave the walker? Um, I'll be honest, I think part of it was the, the money was better at Tate and the conditions were better. Um, that was part of it. Um, was that fairly new at the time? The Tate, Tate Liverpool? Liverpool. Um, it was, actually, I, I started in, oh gosh, it must have been about 97 which is just as it was closing <laughs> right. um, for the top floor to be developed. Right. So I think my first day was its first day of closure, right. which again was a really <laughs> weird time to sort of start uh, something. Again, it was part-time, so I only wanted to work part-time because the sum was still little. Mm. Um, and it just seemed an opportunity that I'd be daft not to take. And actually, you know, I talked to the, the registrar at, at, at the Walker who I, I was, you know, friendly with and, and you know I was doing a lot of work with him and he said take it you'd be daft not to um you know because I, w I wasn't unhappy at the walker by any stretch of the imagination I was really enjoying that work um but again take Liverpool was such an experience and you know again sort of seeing it through that closure and reopening um and then because I was working the exhibitions team I was exhibitions secretary which was then changed to exhibitions assistant and originally it was a job share, but the person I job shared with, she left just at the point that my son was about to go to school. So they kind of left the job for a couple of months Perfect open timing. and then yeah. said I went full time when, when he started school in September. So, you know, I was very lucky to have that. But again, I think, you know, my interest and enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, what, why, was there. A, why go through a process <laughs> of, of recruiting if you, if someone you know else? Somebody wants yeah. to do it and it's good. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that was such a, a valuable experience because, you know, I was working with some great curators, but also working with some great artists, getting to meet, you know, artists I'd any other dreamt or would ever meet. Um, and just learning such a lot. I mean, you know, I didn't do an MA. I know a lot of students now do an MA in museum studies and, or whatever, and I don't have that, but I learnt on the job. Yeah. I've, I've worked my way up. That, that's how it's been. And I was there for three years, and again, you know, it was really fantastic, the experiences I had, people I met, just learning on the job. What, what was the day-to-day -day portrait of that, like, that at, job? At Tate Liverpool, I suppose, I mean, it was supporting the exhibitions team, and I worked particularly closely with the, um, and the exhibitions manager, I think the job title, it was actually Victoria Pomery, who's now at, the, I think, Plymouth, she was, at, she ran Turner Contemporary for a long time. And it was exhibition organisation, essentially. So a lot of my role would have been around sorting out the images or any of the marketing material or any of the books, the quite often the books of publications around them. It was sorting out any artists, making sure that their travel was sorted. I didn't organise it, but I made sure it was yeah. uh, sorted. Liaising with them on a lot of the practicalities. I supported the registrar quite a lot uh, in terms of that sort of work about, you know, works coming in and out. So. You know, it, it was... We're kind of back to organising again. It was organising, yeah. I'm an organiser. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it, yeah, it was organisation. Like having skills. an overview of all of that stuff is quite interesting, though, Yeah. at that point. 
So kind of be able to see all the moving parts. Yes, of, a- absolutely. Of how all of that and is put together is is pretty helpful. Isn't and I it? think understanding also the collection and so the collection displays. So yeah. that's the, the national tape collection, but then the exhibitions which were loans in and out. So again, dealing with a lot of lenders and galleries and and, and that sort of thing. I was the go-to person, I, I, I guess, uh, for, for, for for a lot of the, the organisational yeah. stuff. And also things like helping to proofread um, books, things like that. Again, I did quite a lot of that. We worked on the Arts Trans Pennine 98, which was the first cross the Trans Pennine um, exhibition project, but that sort of led into the Liverpool Biennial. So I was part of the first Liverpool Biennial. So with the bits of this where you were looking up this with an overview and thinking, I kind of would like to zoom in here or do a bit more of this, or were you just enjoying I was, was just happening? enjoying it. Um, I think, I think I never really had any expectations. I never knew what was going to happen. And I was just enjoying the moment. And I left Tate Liverpool in 2000 because I met my partner. We decided we were going to move in together and, and, and buy a house. So I reluctantly, but knew I had to make a move. Because I also realised at Tate Liverpool, I'd done all I could. Right. The job was never going to go anywhere else. It felt like a natural end. It was, to you know, I was enjoying it, but, but you know, it was always going to be the same if if I stayed there. So I yeah. took a punt, and no, I, I handed in my notice. On the day I handed in my notice, there was a job advertised at the Harris Museum and Art Gallery in Preston. It was literally Things the day I handed in my well notice, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh!" So I applied for that, and I didn't hear anything for a while. And I'd, so I'd already moved when I was invited for for an interview. Right, and I remember at the interview being determined not to say that I'd left Tate Liverpool because I didn't want them to know how desperately I wanted oh, right, that job. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, a couple of weeks later, I was offered the job. That was exhibitions assistant um, at the Harris Museum and Art Gallery. Again, I loved it. So, so at that point, were you kind of prepared just to do whatever, you know, would you think, I'm going to have to find something else in this area? Or was it, a, okay, that chapter's kind of come to a close, but I might not end up working in this sector? I wanted to work in museums and galleries. Right. I, I, I knew that. I was also prepared to take anything because right. I needed to make some, some money. I mean, you know, my, my partner at the time had you know, we'd agreed to be so long and then I would yeah, need to, to, yeah. to contribute to the, the household income. So I was really lucky that this job, <laughs> you know, the timing yeah. was, you know, look at, I really felt luck had been on, on, on my side and I've been lucky in everything I applied for. I'd got at that stage. So the Harris Museum and Art Gallery is run by Preston City Council, or Borough Council as it was when, when I started there. Um, so it's quite different working for a local authority run organisation rather than a national, which the, obviously the Walker and the Tate have been. So understanding that took me a while, but again, a magnificent building. I mean, you know, for those people listening to this who haven't been to the Harris Museum and Art Gallery, I really recommend <laughs> the building and the collections are amazing. And they had a great exhibitions programme. And I did know about the Contemporary Art Exhibitions programme. I'd always seen it. So I think we had visited actually when I was at Tate Liverpool as part of the Arts Trans Pennine, they'd been part of that yeah. process. Um, worked with the senior exhibitions officer at the time, James Green, who now runs Newland Art Gallery and the Exchange in Penzance. And just a really great team. So our role was very much about the Contemporary Art Exhibitions Programme. We didn't work with the collection. I was also, for the first time, curating. So my first curatorial foray was the Stairway Exhibition, um, which at the Harris was a space they used particularly for local artists. So some Northwest-based uh, emerging artists. It was, it was a great opportunity for, for people. It was a paid exhibition opportunity. So that's where I sort of really honed my curatorial skills, I would say, in there and the exhibition programme, which, again, working with someone like James, who, who gave me the confidence to be able to curate my own show and to, you know, I, I was sort of challenged with, right, you've got to write an Arts Council bid and, you know, do your own sort so of whole, exhibition, do the whole thing. The whole timeline. Of, and giving yeah. me the, you know, the resource and the confidence to be able to, to do that. Um, and again, feel very privileged to have worked in such beautiful surroundings um, and to have the opportunity to work with some great artists and really, you know, do some wonderful projects. But again, somewhere like the Harris, you, you know, you're, you're thinking about the whole programme and how it comes together over 12, 18 months and thinking about the audiences and sort of who you're trying to attract and 
you know, the Harris has its traditional collections of fine art, it has its decorative art collection, its local history, and really trying to want to make the contemporary art programme relevant to the visitors, to those mm. elements and to local people. We did a lot of work with UCLan, um, you know, working with, with staff and students there. We did a number of different projects, we, we worked with them. But also we did the Harris Open exhibition, um, which was pretty much annually, um, and it was the celebration of local talent. And it was open to anybody with a Preston postcode to submit work, and we pretty much hung all of it unless it was offensive. And it was a, 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 a joyful moment each Christmas time right. for local people. And, of course, for the local councillors, this is an important moment. Yeah. You know, it, it's, this is the local museum and art gallery celebrating the local talent. And we'd be trying to encourage... You know, you'd get the same people exhibiting every year, and we were trying to encourage more of the younger people, more emerging, or people who hadn't exhibited before. And we did this in, in different ways, and we did a children's section and... And kind of, but it was a really a joyful moment, and there was some great, really interesting work that, that was uh, mm-hmm. presented there as well. So it was a very valuable thing to do, you know. But then also thinking about what other audiences we're trying to bring in. So we, I mean, we did some things with the Quilters Guild, I think, which again is not my thing, but again, it brings in a particular yeah. audience and actually learning things all the time. Um, we took touring exhibitions, you know, working with. Um, and like Hayward touring or the Arts Council collection touring shows, those sort of things. Um, but we also curated our, our own exhibitions as well. And again, I think what was really interesting and sort of what interests me is about connect, making connections. So, for example, we did quite a lot around new media. We did a, 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 did a project called Current. It was an open call for artists working with the digital to submit work for a, a basic... A, Commission to collect opportunity, yeah. and we so you know again it's bringing in those partners. So we worked with an organisation that was called Folly, that was based in Lancaster. It was very much a digital arts organisation. So in collaboration with them, but we brought in um, experts from Fact, from um, Crum, uh, from Contemporary Art Society, from Tate, uh, other experts to sort of help make a decision on which work we we're going to exhibit in the, the um, project and then which work we were actually going to collect for, yeah. for the collection. So again, so being quite strategic in, in who we were developing partnerships with. We worked as well with the AND Festival or the Abandoned Normal Devices Festival. That came to Preston again through some of the connections that, that I've made. We did a great project with the Contemporary Art Society Northwest called A Private Affair, which is where we were looking at contemporary collectors, personal collectors in the Northwest and sort of understanding why they collect and yeah. how they live with their collections, which well, again was really it was yeah. really fascinating. It was one of my favourite projects. It's, you know, it was sort of having quite a privilege having a nose around people's houses. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and kind of seeing you know that they've got this you know sort of great work by I don't know whoever um, next to something they picked up on holiday, <laughs> you yeah. know, in Spain or whatever. Um, but the point behind that was really wanting to sort of showcase the idea that most of the public museums and galleries we've got were based on bequests of personal collections. Yeah. So that old stuff <laughs> in the collections galleries actually had been bequeathed by so-and-so and it was somebody's personal collection. Yeah. And it was really wanting to sort of put it into that sort of context and, and get people to think about, you know, those artworks when they were collected were contemporary at their time. And so some of the work that people were seeing now they might not get, but actually, you know, in 100 years' time, that'll yeah. be old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it's those sort of stories. And going back to the digital, it was about wanting to get young people involved because we really sort of found that the education team had you know, a particular remit. They were bringing schools in, they'd do Egyptian tours or Victorian tours or, or whatever. And quite often, whatever was in the contemporary gallery, um, the kids would be interested, but the teachers weren't. Yeah. And it's because the teachers weren't equipped to be able to explain the confidence to th- articulate. So we started to do quite a bit of work around, you know, building up that confidence in, in, in yeah. teachers as well. Because the kids, particularly the digital work, kids get it. They're used to navigating the world through screens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the grown-ups aren't yeah. <laughs> or weren't at that point. So, um, so there's quite a lot of sort of strategic work. And then that cut the idea of collecting new media. Yeah. Uh, was Again, that was something that I was tasked Well. When I say tasked, I was kind of given the opportunity because I had the interest. And it actually came about because we applied 
for the Art Fund International, which was an opportunity for arts organisations to apply for basically a million pounds over, I think, five years to collect international artwork. And I was like, I don't know, why don't we collect the media? It is quite, <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, though, because that, collecting is hard. Yeah. You know? It's very hard, because the way that our systems function and the way that funding functions is... So it's quite a unique thing, what you do... It is. ...here, and by the sound of it, at Harris. So are you, like, starting to, at this point... I think just... Cut out your own unique position there. I'm asking questions as to why is it so hard and actually why are... Making huge uh, generalisations here, but why are collections curators generally very nervous about collecting anything that's vaguely challenging or different? Now, I understand that it's a not-on-my-watch kind of thing. They don't want to be you know, in 20, 30 years' time, going, oh, that person collected all this rubbish. <laughs> because within collections, there are, you know, there's fashions yeah. and, and kind of, you know, at the Harris, there was a load of 80s sculpture that was a real pain because it, there was nowhere to store it and we had to move things around it. Yeah. Actually, it's really important. It was of its time. And that's where I'm coming from. It's of its time. You have to collect of its time. Yeah. When it's being made, if you do it retrospectively, it's much harder to do. And so with the Artford International, we, we put in an application... And we were shortlisted, so I had to go, and probably one of the scariest things I've ever done was be interviewed at the Art Fund. Um, I think there was about 12 people around this very enormous wooden table. And it included people like James Lingwood from um, Art Angel at the time. There was Michael Craig Martin, um, Hans Ulrich Obrist, um, kind of all so of these all, names. All, all big names there. And there was me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being interviewed by, by this. I had yeah. to give a presentation. And... And I went on my own because that was the advice of the art firm because they knew it was my thing. thing. I'd been the one who'd done it. We didn't get the money. Um, but that process and the fact that we'd had conversations with you know, FACT, um, with the Contemporary Art Society, with, with Tate, with other organisations who were sort of saying, this is really important to be collecting this, this, this work. Yeah. Kind of that's where Arts Council that point had some money that they gave us right develop a strategy for doing this we, we, we yeah. want this to work and that's how, how that all sort of came about but that the initial idea for that had come about through talking to Stena and Woody Vasulka who they were part of a digital aesthetic program that we did with uh, Uclan we did three sort of series of that and it was I think it was was it the final one I can't remember but it was over dinner at the sort of conference side of it, I was sat next to them and they were doing some work at ZKM in, in Germany um, in terms of future-proofing their work. And, you know, and they are the pioneers of video art and digital art. They are absolutely the pioneers in, in New York in the 70s. And their work wasn't in any collections. And I was like, what? <laughs> How can Why it not it? be? You, you are such important people and you're now, in, you know, in, in their old age working in Germany, trying to future-proof some of their, their, their work. And I said, this is bonkers, this shouldn't mm-hmm. happen. And that's, it was that conversation over dinner which has sparked a lot of what I do now, I think. So how long were you at the Harris for? I was at the Harris for 13 years. Um, I was assistant exhibitions officer for four, and then I was promoted to exhibitions officer. And uh, again, it was something, a job I really enjoyed. And then I moved to Salford in 2013. Okay, um, for, for the job that you're doing now? Yeah. So the, I have a question there, maybe intentional or maybe not. So you kind of started and then you went to a bigger venue and then you kind of went to a smaller one and then you've kind of, it's, it's not a smaller project, but it's a smaller team. And is that, is that by design, is that because you, this allows you to be more fleet of foot and, and do interesting things that creatively interest you? I think so. That is the case, but I don't know whether that was a deliberate thought process at the time. I saw the job advertised. I'd, I'd started to, to, to look around because it was also at the time that my son went off to university. So, so I more felt I, I could travel further. Um, right. If I needed to move, I could move somewhere. Not that I particularly wanted to, but I, I just had that more flexibility to take on something that was a greater challenge. I loved the Harris. I was never bored of working with those galleries. They are absolutely beautiful galleries and I did some great things there, but I was kind of ready for the next challenge, yeah. I think. And I saw this role and uh, applied for it. Um, 
I was actually applying for a few, th I applied for another job at the same time, which I was interviewed for and didn't get, but I'd already knew I'd got the, the Salford one at this point. And again, it was that process. I mean, it, it was quite an interesting interview process. I actually had three interviews to get this job. There was sort of a first round and then a second round, and then I was interviewed by the deputy vice chancellor. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I knew that when I started the process. I went for the first interview, and I think they were interviewing 10 people. But actually really got on with Colin, who was the, the Colin McCallum, who was the, the boss at the time, yeah. and just had a re really enjoyed the conversation with him. So then I was invited for a second interview with him and the head librarian at the, at the time and presentation. Now, I, I think the deputy vice chancellor was meant to be at those interviews, but then couldn't. So then they narrowed it down to two, so I had to come back for a one-to-one yeah, one with, yeah. with the Deputy Vice-Chancellor at the time. And actually that was really uh, interesting because I think I asked him a question and he <laughs> did most of the interview. Right. Well, I, was, I, I, I maintain <laughs> that, that, is, that I think that more often than not that is an indication that an interview has gone well. If yeah. it becomes conversational it, and, and you're doing as much challenging... It completely was. It was a conversation. We were talking actually about the Christian Mark Clay at, at the Venice Biennale that, that year, which was the clocks piece. Uh, and he'd seen it and he loved it. And, and uh, might, maybe it had been the year before. Must have been the year before. Um, anyway, we just had a really interesting conversation about art. So when I was offered the job, I was delighted. Um, and I kind of thought, it's quite a long commute from Carnforth, where I live. Yes. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, how it works out. And I guess the, the obvious question then for, for where you where you are now is what's next what what comes next now that is an interesting question and i i don't know um i really enjoy working here and i think i suppose going back a little bit i think the opportunities i've had here have been incredible i've made them um but i've been allowed to do that so particularly with the work around china for for example in my first year, I applied for funding from the uh, art fund, the Jonathan Ruffer travel bursary, and I got one to go to China and uh, went to Beijing and Shanghai and Taipei and Hong Kong with the then director of, of uh, CFCCA, Sarah Fisher, and was able to contribute to the um, Harmonious Society exhibition, which was the biggest exhibition of Chinese contemporary art the UK had had at that time as part of the Asia Triennial Manchester. And through that sort of have really developed my knowledge of Chinese contemporary art. I don't pretend to be an expert at all because it is such a massive thing and I know a tiny weeny bit but I know more than most people in the UK. Um, but it's about the people I'm connected with and I think, so if I want to sort of say this particularly around the Chinese collection, is that it, it, it is about working with expert, working with experts in Chinese contemporary art mainly from China, Hong Kong and Taiwan, and sort of developing relationships with them and sort of that's how we've developed that, that, that collection. It is yeah. not about me going, I'm just picking up, I like them, I want to work with them. It's, it's about, this, again, the stories we tell. And some of that has been with the Centre for Chinese Contemporary Art, which, but they're now EC Contemporary, East and Southeast Asian Contemporary, and we're looking forward to working with them again in, in, in the future. But I've worked a lot with Open Eye Gallery in Liverpool um, when they had a uh, focus on Shanghai, because uh, Liverpool was twinned with Shanghai and it was the anniversary of, the, of that twinning. Uh, we took the collection to, to Liverpool, we showed it in St George's Hall, but we also co-commissioned work, again, working with Chinese curators. Um, and we've developed good relationships in Shanghai. I've um, done a couple of exhibitions over there, taking the collection there for the Photo Fair Shanghai and developed a project again with Open Eye Gallery um, called Peer to Peer, which was about British and Chinese curators nominating photographers that they thought were sort of merging onto the international scene. And we did the exhibition in Liverpool and in, in Shanghai. So again, it was really great to sort of get that mix. And we've got um, work in the collection. We then commissioned a British artist and a Chinese artist to make new work for the collection. So. Again, those sort of the stories that, that around that have been really interesting. And working with Hong Kong, um, we developed a peer-to-peer -peer UK Hong Kong, which was <laughs> meant to be we meant for part of the Arts Council. We were meant to be leading a trip to Hong Kong in twenty nineteen, uh, December twenty nineteen. Uh, we had everything planned, everything booked. I've been working with um, a colleague in Hong Kong who's, who's based there. 
Um, and then there were the riots and the protests in Hong Kong, so it was cancelled. The British government said we couldn't go because it was linked to the Great mm. Campaign. Um, we then thought, well, we'll go back for Art Basel Hong Kong in March 2020, and clearly that wasn't yeah. going to happen. So we've done two now online uh, digital festivals working with, with partners in the UK and Hong Kong. So that relationship development, I think, for me, it's not just about who we develop relationships with, it's who, you know, how we can be catalysts for others to develop partnerships and meaningful ways of working mm -hmm. so it's about who I'm working with yeah. it's not about me <laughs> yeah um, it's about bringing in that expertise and I think that's probably what I'm quite good at is bringing in the right people to, to work together as, as project yeah. teams um, and that's with the the digital side of collecting which now my colleague Steph um, she really leads on the, the digital side of it I lead on the Chinese side and we both do the, the from the north sort of side of things. But in terms of what's next, what I'm being tasked to do by, by the university is, is there's, um, there's a, a master plan, a joint master plan between the university and the city council for this area, sort of Salford Crescent. It's a 20 year plan involving lots of building, regeneration, but also making it a much nicer place to, to live, work, play, visit, study, all of, of those things. So from the university, I'm on the, the university's master plan programme group um, with the placemaking portfolio. We're, we're developing a cultural strategy for the university and then it's about how we work with the city, so the Sulphur Culture and Place Partnership, which is a, a meeting I, I attend with uh, my, one of the pro-vice-chancellors from the university. It's about how this city works together, the arts organisations, cultural organisations work together. There is a, a strategy for culture and place for the city, which we were part of, of developing that. So it's how to connect all of these things together. We're on our Peel Park campus at the moment, the clues in the title, Peel Park. We have a beautiful park behind the university campus. We have the River Irwell. You know, you can look out the windows now and see the river and the blossom. Um, this is a really, actually, very attractive place to yeah. be, but just people don't think of Salford in that way. No. And so how we bring artists and culture into this sort of area I'm hesitant to use the word cultural quarter because I think it needs to be a thread sort of throughout, but it's how we connect with Islington Mill, which is less than a five-minute walk away in Hotbed Press, um, how we bring these artists and make this campus somewhere they want to come, they want to stay, how it, it works for our students, but also we want to attract other visitors, and yeah. that's how we work with Salford Museum and Art Gallery. So you've got the Art Museum Gallery next door. What's your relationship with that gallery both as an institution and in terms of a collection and in terms of sharing audiences I guess. It, it's a really interesting question and I, we go back the last part of the questions about sharing audiences that's where it started. Um, I think when I started the job here there wasn't a relationship or certainly a formal relationship with Salford Museum and Art Gallery which seemed a bit strange. It seems crazy. Considering it is in the middle of our, yeah. our campus. Yeah. Um, for me it was very much about if we're going to develop audiences from the local community, that is the place where we need to start because they've already got that relationship with yeah. the local community. 2017 was the, the 50th anniversary of university status. The university's existed for over 100 years, but the sort of university status that it's, it's given was in 1967, um, its formal status. So that seemed quite a good time to have an exhibition around the collection and we, we applied for and were given space at the Salford Museum and Art Gallery for an exhibition that called What's in Store, where we looked at 50 years of collecting. Uh, and it was the first time, really, that the collection had been out properly on campus, because most of my work until then had been off campus. Um, so it, you know, it gave us a chance to tell the story and to show the very early works and then our collecting strands that, that we're working on at the moment. And I think that was a really successful exhibition. We got it on the local BBC News because we were showing a Lowry and they love a story of the Lowrys coming back to Salford because they're all actually in the Lowry, in the yeah. Salford Keys now. But actually, you know, they were making this big thing about this is the first time the collection has been shown, which it, it, it sort of was. But building on from that, we were kind of sort of saying, well, what can we do next? And we wanted to... Because they've got, again, beautiful galleries and they're run through Salford Community Leisure, which is sort of a, a, a charitable sort of organisation linked to the City Council. The City Council owns the building. 
um, you know, money's tight. And we're like, well, what can we do together? And, you know, we need a beautiful space. Yeah. You've got beautiful spaces. How can we work together? And we did develop a memorandum of understanding. I think that was probably around the end of 2017, early 2018. The staff has changed there quite a bit in terms of the, the leadership, but we were able to start to work with them on, on, on a contemporary programme. And, and I think one of the exhibitions we did was 100 Years of Collecting in Salford. And that really started with the Salford Museum and Art Gallery collections of fine art. And then they stopped collecting around the time we started. So again, you know, there's quite a nice trajectory yeah. there that we, we can tell together. And we've uh, we've done a number of different things there. We, we worked with Open Music Archive, did this amazing sort of video installation in there. But also other organisations that I can bring to the, the stuff there, like the Japan Foundation, for example, who I'd worked with at the Harris, and, and I've been lucky enough that they paid for me for a trip to go to Japan around talking about digital art, actually. And they had a touring show, and, and they said, oh, try, you know, introduce themselves to Museum Not They took that show. So, you know, there's that generosity, I think, is, yeah, is something that I think is really cool. important. Um, I mentioned Salford Culture and Place Partnership. So this is quite a complicated partnership. Of It's the City Council, the University, the Arts Council, and the Lowry are sort of the, the anchor partners for, the, for this um, partnership. But then it's expanded. It includes us into Mill, Walk the Plank, um, the local CVS. Um, there's kind of a whole load of, of different BBC are involved, I think, um, of cultural partners that sort of across sort of Salford. Um, but one of the first things we did was put in a bid for the Arts Council for a, a sort of cross-city project called Rediscovering Salford. Um, we got the funding for that on the first day of lockdown, which was kind of like, hooray! <laughs> now <laughs> How, what? Do you <laughs> How do we deliver this? Yeah. Um, so it, it changed quite a bit, but part of it, and the bit that I was leading on was, was there were two parts, the... the uh, an exhibition at the Museum and Art Gallery, which was about working with established and emerging artists in Salford to commission new work, which was about rediscovering green spaces in Salford. That was kind of the premise of the whole project. So it was about linking the collections, both of our collections, and commissioning four new works by these four new artists. Um, we were also working with an artist called Laura Daly, who we were commissioning to make the Storm Cone, which is it's an artwork that you experience through an app in Peel Park. And there was a whole load of other stuff that, that Sari Slee, who was the, the head of the, the partnership, was, was leading on, which was sort of working with the park, working with Water Plank, working up with other sort of yeah. projects that sort of are linked to Salford. So we did eventually do the exhibition and, and um, the app. It was a bit later than it was meant to be, but um, actually that process of working with artists through lockdown was really important. I think that is something, again, the, uni the university through me, we, we convened a group of the local sort of artists and artist community and just met online about once a month or so. How's everyone doing? You know, what funding are you applying for? Does anybody need any help with anything? Kind of, yeah. you know, we had those regular meetings, but also we were commissioning four artists to, to, to make new work. And we worked with the studios, as Interman and Paradise Works, with the sort of directors there to say, who who would you recommend we talk to? And, and kind of, it was quite a democratic process. Um, so we were able to commission this great exhibition, which, um, you know, we had work by Hilary Jack, Cheddar Gorgeous, Lizzie King and Jack Brown. All very, very different, all rooted in the local uh, community, local green spaces, very, very different ways of, of reacting to that. And that was shown alongside the collection, which and Steph and, and Claire from the museum curated sort of that exhibition. I was leading on the Laura Daly project in, in the, the park, which again, the Storm Cone, it, it, it's an app. Um, it involved um, commissioning a new score for a brass band, which was by a, a composer called Lucy Pankhurst. The staff and students from the music department in the university performed and recorded a brass band this sort of composition during one of the lockdowns which was kind of this is one of my things actually we managed to do this yeah. they had to be at least three mm -hmm. meters apart i had to get all sorts of permissions for this to happen but we managed to record it during during one of the lockdowns the staff of students did some sound engineering on it we worked with the games design department so a student and a, a lecturer from there basically designed the app again the experience they got particularly the student in, in doing this about no, we don't want it to look like a game. 
you know, we know the technology is gaming technology, but yeah. we don't want it to look like that. And actually, this is what the artist wants. So you, you need to, this is what the client wants. You need to think about it from this. Actually, she was brilliant in the end. Uh, Naila, um, she, she was just a star, but it was quite a difficult start sort of understanding yeah. this. But yeah. basically the opportunities we were able to give to staff and students throughout the lockdown, as well as the artist, Laura, we were working with to make this, this app has been, I mean, it, I think we, we did a, a masterclass for, for the courses in, uh, about 12 months ago now, and it was the first time all of us had come together, all the different parts, had actually realised just how complicated yeah, yeah. It, it was to, to make this app, because we're, we're using technology in a way it wasn't designed yeah. for, and it's at the start of it. It's an AR app, sorry, I should say. So, so is that you, available now? It's available now on your phone yeah. or, or your, your, your device. Um, you download it and you need headphones because it's sound work but visual as well. And if you're going to Peel Park, it tells you what to do, but you sort of see on your screen, you you see a a bandstand and musicians, well, you don't see musicians, you see musical instruments. And there's a whole story behind it. It's an amazing piece. But again, it's, for me, that's been a real interesting project to work on. Because, I mean, I was chairing meetings where I didn't have a clue what anyone was talking about because it's so technical. (laughs) And I'm just trying to make sure everybody does what they say they're going to do at the time. The enthusiasm from everybody, and I think particularly at a time when you couldn't do a lot of things, we were giving them the opportunity to, to try out and, and giving them experiences that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So, yeah. so I've gone off kilter from the question, which was about Sulphur Museum and Art Gallery. I think we need to recognise that they are, are kind of publicly the jewel in the crown in, in this sort of area of, of, of Salford. It's a brilliant uh, museum and art gallery. They're there for the people. We want to be there as well, but the opportunities we, we can give to students, there's various different opportunities that students are getting involved with it as well. Yeah. So they're learning, it's that real world experience yeah. on the doorstep. Um, and working with the Working Class Movement Library as well, I think that's really important. You know, we have to work together. Um, we're much, you know, greater than the sum of our parts if we work collectively. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. It's so generous of you to have given so much time and to welcome me on to campus and have a look around the stores. It's a pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you, thank, thank you for asking me. Thank you very much. <laughs>